Welcome back to the Act Two Podcast, a podcast for the real-life, non-working screenwriter. Mm-hmm. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I'm Josh Hallman. And as a reminder of who we are, we are Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday screenwriter, of which this podcast is just one of the things that we do. So thank you for joining us here. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. You'll get updates on what our latest topic is, so you don't have to go searching for it, which is really handy. You'll also, you know, I don't know. There's no other benefit to subscribing <laughs> than information. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but it's great information. <laughs> uh, you can give us a rating, write a comment. Uh, you can also DM us, which we very much enjoy, um, with questions or topic suggestions, or if you just want to say hi and Give us a check-in of where you are in your writing life right now. And you can do that at act2writers at gmail.com. All spelled out or on Instagram and Twitter. I am on Instagram at Story Thursday and on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. I am Josh Hallman on Instagram. Joshua Hallman on Twitter. A lot of stuff today, Tasha. I feel like we had nothing and now we have a lot. We were like, oh, this will be a quick episode. We'll just check in about the writer's strike. And now I feel like we have a lot to talk about. I agree. I agree. There's a lot to jump into. Before we jump in, yeah, there's some things I need to say. Okay. Well, first of all, number one, you and Gabby had organized an event, a picket line. I guess this is our topic, but I just wanted to get this out of the way. And it was awesome. And yeah. everyone showed up at uh, Universal. And uh, it was a cool Act 2 event. And we had great t-shirts. I didn't, I forgot to buy a t-shirt. I ended up stealing Dave Levinson's t-shirt. Feel bad about that one. And Please uh, give it back to him. I will give it back to him. I don't know if he'll ever wear it. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was great. I had, I had my, I had my friend Katie who, who has done, he's a graphic designer who has done a lot of my lookbooks for work and like has done lookbooks for other writers in act two. Um, I had her design because I feel like a lot of strike shirts are dumb. So I was like, Katie, help me. Mm-hmm. And so we had a cool like Star Wars themed uh, Empire Strikes Back kind of shirt logo for Act 2. Act 2 writers, writers strike back, which is great. We all were all repping our shirts. Yeah. And was- we showed up Universal where I used to work as an assistant. It was crazy. It was bonkers. Well, yeah. Was it a surreal one like full circle? You're like, wow, now I'm. Here. It was so surreal. Like, oh, that's the gate I would always drive in and be sad because my job was so terrible. <laughs> and then you also had another shirt. We were sent a link from Rudy O'Meara. Yeah. He he created a bunch of cool shirts. Yeah. And you had one of them. He sent us a link. He put together, I guess he put together shirts uh, on cottonboro.com. If you type in WGA in the search, you can find these great shirts. And I came with my Warner Brothers Writers Before Dividends shirt, which I really enjoyed. They're really soft, by the way. I really like them. Yeah. Um, but then changed out, sorry, Rudy, for our uh, Act Two Writer Strike Back shirt. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, it was great. People yeah. were repping all kinds of shirts, by the way. Yeah, They're really were, cool. You were pulling shirts out of your backpack just left yeah. and right. <laughs> It's like whoa! <laughs> I was like, hey, you just had you had your backpack, and uh, um, but it was awesome. And so we're gonna get more in. We'll dive more into that a little later. That'll be our I topic. just wanted to say it was it was a great it was a great thing. Thanks. I'm glad you had fun. I did. I did have fun. 
What should we do? Should we start with our spec check? Because now this is a thing. Spec check. Let's start. Let's do it. All right. I haven't made great progress on my spec. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am still in the first act, which is where I was last week. Okay. My plan with the spec is to, mm-hmm. and I'm going to write the first act, and then I'm going to send it to our writers group. And then I'm going to get feedback. And then I'm going to just keep pushing. But I just want to make sure act one is feeling good because when you have act three problems, you have act one problems. And so I mm-hmm. want to make sure act one is is feeling it. I actually have to talk to my manager about it still. I don't even know if he knows I'm writing it. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. So maybe I'll send him act one and get his thoughts on it. You're going to send it to him before us? No, no, no. This is after I meet uh, with writers. Damn straight. Course. Yeah, come on. So, <laughs> so how? So since last week when we did our very first inaugural spec check, mm-hmm. how how much have you done? Let's be honest. Co- what, a couple pages. <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> oh, really? That's, yeah, you added a couple. Have you like also gone back and like revised some stuff that's already there or you just added two pages? Slight tweaking. I'm trying not to do that, but I have added a few pages. And I don't know about you, how you write your specs, but I know some people can just push forward, mm. but I have to reread, like not from the beginning every time, but it's like you have to get into a flow of writing. And so I start from the beginning usually if it's mm. not a lot of pages. And then I read those and then I'm boom, I'm in the flow. And then I start writing. But I always end up just tweaking a couple things here and there. I already have notes on my like first 12 pages. And I'm like, yeah, ah. but I'm going to hold off on that. I'm not going to get caught in the little parts of it. I'm going to send it over to the writer's group and I'm going to let you guys tell me what's wrong with it. Okay. It's interesting because I have always been the kind of person who rereads from the top. And I was even more hardcore. I would, when I reopened it, I would open a blank page next to what I'd written and just start rewriting everything over again. Because I felt like what if I rewrote it from scratch rather than went in and like tweaked things as I was reading, I could get into the flow more and mm. my, my changes were more substantive. And I love doing that. But then once I started getting on deadlines, I felt like, there's no way that that's even possible anymore. And I hated it so much. And I had to adjust. Actually, just this last writer's room, our, our schedule got truncated. So instead of like two weeks to break an episode, we had one and a half. And, it, and then that, that kind of schedule created this overlap where one of the writers now had to write two scripts at the same time and two outlines at the same time. And yeah. he is the kind of writer who goes back from the top and then goes all the way down. And he said that he could no longer do that. And it was really frustrating him and his process. And he felt insecure about the drafts he was sending in because he knew the first half was great uh-huh. <laughs> because he kept going over those so many times that they were really solid. And then the last half looked like he didn't pay attention to it at all just because he has this process. And he was like trying, he was like talking to us about how could he address that process? Could he just cut out the re- rereading it entirely and just start from scratch. And Hemingway had a suggestion where he would read only like the, the previous page or the previous few paragraphs, but not the whole thing. So maybe that's a way to do it. I don't know. Hemingway. Wow. <laughs> Prolific <laughs> alcoholic screenwriter. <laughs> All right. What about you? So since we last talked, <laughs> I wrote an entire outline. <laughs> Okay. We talked on a Tuesday. We did spec check on a Tuesday. On a Wednesday, 
I spent all day writing an outline for our new thing and I sent it to writers group. So I'm going to find out tomorrow what you guys think of it. I still have a lot of questions. It was interesting to me because in the writing of it, I found the themes I wanted to play with, but I didn't know it until I was writing it, which mm. was very interesting because we've talked a lot about theme and how my managers kind of of the opinion that you need to have your theme first before you start writing or what are you writing to? But she's not a writer. And many writers actually say the opposite, that you don't even discover your theme until you get in there. Yeah. And that was definitely uh, how it worked for me. That's amazing. And you, yeah. you know, I've noticed you're, bec you've become a faster writer. Like you, uh, even over the last couple of years, like you'll have this idea a couple of weeks ago, you sent a, a spec idea and you kind of yeah. wrote out this outline and you were like, texting me about it on like Monday night. And then Tuesday, you're like, here's a 45 page outline. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, all right, cool. Yeah, I mean, I think combination of writer strike not having anything to do and having to have written my thing for TV is has really upped that speed. It's yeah. crazy. Damn. It's a muscle, man. Like we talked yeah. about uh, last episode. It's it's that muscle. You just keep going and then you're in the flow and then you're just flying. And now before you know it, you're you're going to have your spec done before me. I'm going to be on act oh, two and you're going to be you. on your second draft. <laughs> I hope that's true. Not, not for your sake, but just for mine, because we all know how long it's been since I've written anything new yeah. and original. You're writing shit left and right that's new and original. So I need to catch up. Yeah. Left and right. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, that's a good spec check. Yeah. All right, this is this is is this a this week in writing? I think it is. Yeah, let's do it. This week in writing. So I was talking to our good friend Sabetti. Yeah. And I write action comedies, and so he was talking to me about when were when were you talking to him about it? By the way, we were walking in a picket line. <laughs> And it was a joyful experience. And I cannot wait to get to the big topic of this. But yes, Sabetti and I, we were taking a walk. Tasha had pulled out her phone and recorded him mm -hmm. talking about this topic that I'm going to say. A lot of people are always saying like a movie has to be totally consistent, but I totally disagree with that. The characters in the movie have to be totally consistent. Just take any Marvel movie. They're very dr dramatic at times, but there's also a lot of levity. But the characters are always consistent. So that's why it was one of my pet peeves when people will read like an action comedy script and be like, it has tonal issues. Like you love Marvel movies, so clearly you do enjoy movies with plenty of tone. So I have forever struggled when I get into rooms with executives, producers, whoever's, to describe the tone of my action comedies. A lot of times people will say it's too funny, uh, sometimes people have said, this isn't even a comedy. This is just an action movie. And in my brain, I'm like, yeah, that's the point. It's like action first, it, drama first, comedy second. Because I, I tend to lean, I, I like to lean on like the comedy as the second aspect, but it's really hard. That's, it's a very hard balance to find. And I think Sabetti was kind of having this issue as well. So we were talking about the tone of action comedies. And he was saying, you want to have the the tones of each character to m match essentially, right? Like as long as the tone of a character is consistent throughout an action comedy, then the tone of the movie itself can be a little murky. Is that mm -hmm. what he was saying? 
Am I getting this wrong? I think so. I think he was saying that the character has to be consistent within the movie. So like he kept referring to Marvel and like, so I immediately thought of Tony Stark and Iron Man and he has a consistency of character, right? Where he's kind of this rich buffoon, but has very emotional moments as well, but always lightens the mood. Like there's when he, when he's serious, it's still within a character. He's not, it doesn't feel like he's in a drama when he's serious. There's something very consistent about his gravity, his gravitas when he is serious in a moment. And then his levity is also very organic. There's something to Iron Man specifically that comes up for me that like, it's he's able to travel that spectrum so well, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, and it never feels like it doesn't belong. But then you put him, let's say, next to Thanos, who's just serious all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where the tone issue comes up for executives because they're like, well, Thanos feels like he's in a different movie because he's serious all the time against Robert Downey Jr. The tone doesn't work. Like this is this is basically what people are telling you. And I think what Sabetti was trying to say is the executive is wrong. <laughs> that like these Thanos and goofy Robert Downey Jr. can coexist in the same world as long as they themselves are consistent and the world is consistent. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he's right or wrong. Maybe there's more to it, but it makes sense the way you just described it. Yeah. Like, let's say Captain America is also a character who's kind of always serious. And the comedy from Captain America tends to come from him reacting to goofier things that other characters around him are doing. uh, Captain Marvel also comes to mind as someone who is serious, but reacts to other characters who are being not serious. And that's where her comedy tends to come from. So, but if say Captain America started just like cracking jokes the way that Iron Man does, that would be an inconsistency of character and the tone would now be completely off for a Captain America movie because that's just not who he is. You need the comedy to come from outside and him reacting to it. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think like yeah. that's kind of where the tone sh- tone shift that he's talking about kind of happens. Yeah. And, and for the record, the one movie that I always reference is Mr. and Mrs. Smith because mm-hmm. they do a really good job or that movie does a really good job of balancing the seriousness with the comedy between the husband and wife. And I feel like that's like the prime example of an action comedy Mm -hmm. or true lies. Yeah. True lies is so, it really toes that line of like tonal dysfunction, (laughs) I guess, (laughs) because it's, it's per, I think the tone is perfect. But one, if it moved one way or the other, it could have been silly. Mm-hmm. I agree. But it's, uh, it's so good. But yeah, I know that's, that's always a struggle that you have. And I think that when you get that note, I think they're probably saying it feels like one of your characters or some of your characters are in a different movie than your other characters. So how yeah. do you adjust accordingly? Yeah, we might have to do a whole episode on this. Mm, I agree. Like break, break down um, True Lies and Mr. and Mrs. Smith scenes where that comedy and that drama is balanced really well with the, with the action and see how they manage it. Okay. Okay. I have a This Week in Writing that is actually a listener question. Cool. Um, and he, this is from Instagram, I believe. Nope, Twitter. He did not give me permission to use his name, so I'm not going to, but thank you for this question. And he said he listened to the How Writers Get Paid episode and said, well, what happens when you sell a spec 
that you've already written. You said a lot of the examples that we gave, which is true, which were like selling a pitch or getting hired to write on a studio's IP. But he says he's confused about what happens when it's all written already. Do they still ask you to write a treatment? Does the first step then become a rewrite of the sold spec? Those are all really great questions. So I will say first, I've never sold a spec, <laughs> so, um, but I have sold a pilot. And those, those actually can be very different, but I will talk about like selling a spec feature first. Um, you would get paid for that spec. So let's say Universal loved the spec I'm writing now and they wanted to buy it. So I'm picketing out front one day and selling a spec to them the next. Um, and one can only be so lucky, I guess. I guess. Hey, Tasha, we saw uh, that photo of you giving yeah. the finger <laughs> right to the offices. Why don't you come on in? I'd love to buy your spec. <laughs> yeah. They, they would basically pay me a big chunk of money for that. And there's also, if you go back and actually listen to Dan Kunkka's episode about spec writing, uh, it was a while ago, sometime last year, he talks a lot about the process of selling a spec. I don't think we talk about money in that episode, but we talk about how, you know, different studios can get into a bidding war over a spec because a spec, since it's original, is, you know, basically thrown into the open market and anyone can, can, can buy this thing. So let's say it's not a, a, bid, a bidding war situation because if it was, you'd make potentially like a million dollars on, on this spec. But let's say it's not, you just sell this spec, let's say it's for $100,000 or $500,000. It can be, if it's a studio, it can be that high. And then typically, and this is something that the, the Writers Guild is actually fighting for right now, is that if you do that, then you also get another step. Like I now have the option to, or not the option, I, I now have it in my deal that I then can rewrite this script. You have to hire me, the original writer, to rewrite it. Because you're going to have notes. Inevitably, Universal loves the spec, but they're going to have notes to make it ready for them personally to go produce it. They'll have thoughts. That's just how they are. And it's fine. Like You want the studio to feel invested in the project, and that's part of the way that they can feel invested is they have kind of their fingers in the pie, as it were. But... Instead of hiring Josh, or sorry, buying Josh's spec and then hiring me, Tasha, to rewrite it, the WJ is fighting for if I buy Josh's script, I also have to pay him another step to rewrite it, which is great because I think from working at studios, something I really learned is that studio execs think of writers as just tools. They're just little like tools I can take out and plug someone else into. And if they're not working, I just take them out and, you know, kind of toss them aside and find someone else who can, who can work on dialogue, for instance. What I think they don't understand typically, this is obviously a generalization, is that if you give the right notes to a writer, they can usually address them <laughs> yeah. the same way that an actor, if they're not doing, if they're not, you know, performing the scene properly, you don't say, Hey, get out. Bring Josh in because he's sad too, and we'll have him do this scene. You don't that do that. You true. say, you say, hey, here's a note. Here's an adjustment for you to make. It's actually not a dramatic scene. It's a funny scene, yeah. and then the actor changes their performance accordingly, and it's great. So I think what they don't understand is writers can do that too. We have this ability to write horror and also write comedy. We can 
um, focus in on dialogue or pull back and focus on 50,000 foot views. We have all of these tools in our tool chest. So um, it's really important to give writers that second step. And that second step will often be much, 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 much less than that um, initial purchase price. Um, but you're still getting money to to work on it. So that's that's often how it works. You definitely don't have to write a treatment if you've written a spec already, you've written the full script, that is that is what it is. Um, and there's also uh, an option agreement you can do for specs as well, where, where it's usually for, let's say, this producer really loves the project and wants to try to sell it. So this actually happened to me on a uh, TV pilot that I have where this company, this produ production company, wanted the option to basically own my script for a short period of time, since it was an original of mine. And then during that period of time, they would use that time to go tweak it a little bit, maybe, you know, give me some notes to tweak it, but usually use that time to try and sell it to um, places like Universal or Netflix mm -hmm. or Amazon or whoever. Um, but they have to buy the script from me in order to use it that way, right? Because I own it. So that can be as little as, actually, I've, you know, <laughs> there there have been uh, option agreements that are $1, for instance. And when I was first starting out, that was something that you'd see commonly because it'd be kind of your friends who are optioning it to try and get it done, like people who want to be producers who are in your circle. And they're like, I don't have any money, but I'll give it to you for a dollar. <laughs> you're like, okay, that, no problem. That happened to me. It happened to you? Yeah. It happened to Dave too, I think. Yeah, the one dollar. One dollar. Yeah. Yeah, or it can be you know thousands of dollars. It it really <laughs> depends on what the production company can afford, and also your resume. You know what what you've done so far, and if you have a quote for for options that have happened prior. So that can kind of range um, in the spectrum, but it's usually like not in like the tens of thousands for an option agreement. It's usually much less. I, although I don't yeah. know what someone who's an A-lister, I don't know, <laughs> I, I don't know if they, I don't even know if they have, you know, they, they typically will option their specs. I feel like they just sell them, but yeah. I'm not, I'm not a big time spec seller. So that's kind of, I think that sort of encompasses the answer to your, your question. That was awesome. Just dropping knowledge. Okay. That was my question. If you have a follow-up questions, let me know. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well. That's this week in writing. That's this week in writing. Should we do it? Do we move on to the big topic? Let's do it. Take us in. So Tasha, you had arranged, along with Gabby, you had arranged a picketing over at Universal. Mm -hmm. A good little act to get together. We're all going to get some signs. We're all going to walk out there. And I just want to let you know what my day was like. Okay. I woke up at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Super tired. I ended up watching Fast and Furious 9, the Fast Saga. And I don't know, it was just fate because I forgot that I was going to Universal in just a matter of hours. And so I watched the movie from 3 to like 5.30, brewed some coffee, got up, and then I was ready to go. And I came. I was a little late, but I met you there. You had your backpack full of t-shirts. <laughs> we get over to Universal, and there was just this big group of act tours there. And, and then you, you hit the streets. Start walking along, and that's what picketing is. <laughs> wow, you really sold it there. You really sold it. First of all, no. we had to pick our sign because there weren't any signs available for us to write ourselves. Yeah. And I picked as I, I just I have really bad luck with signs here because again, they're always posting these really clever signs 
none of which are left apparently <laughs> when yeah. you get there. Maybe people take the clever ones home, but I found the one that was the closest I could get to Terminator 2. Yeah. And your sign said, he wrote, I'll be back. And it had an arrow. And it had an arrow pointing to the left. And you and I have a picture and I'm standing <laughs> to your right. <laughs> and, and I wish, I wish I flipped. I don't know why I didn't. But Someone um, should have said something. <laughs> I know, the person who took the picture. But um, yeah, you know, because I had asked you on the previous episode, kind of like the general... And that's what we wanted to do in this episode, just kind of talk about the vibe and what it's like yeah. getting there if, if someone hasn't done it. And and it is just really interesting because you just you go and grab these signs that are just resting against a wall. Mm-hmm. My sign said, which I did not write, but it said, fair wages for my pages. So good. So I actually kind of- Clean and, and simple. The, 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 the penmanship was just perfect. Like it was, it was. very crisp and- <laughs> And so thank you to whoever wrote that. And so, yeah, we grabbed our signs and, and we were, we were off. You knew everyone there. Well, there's, there are so many act tours. We went to the big, if you've been to universal, there's, there's many different gates. Some used for assistants like me when I was working there, administrative folks, others used for production, which are really important because you want to pick it in front of the gates where production trucks tend to go into so that you can stop them from going into production. And then there was us. <laughs> I think they just like gave us this gate so that we could be more, I don't know, visible, but also like it's more, there's more space at the gate that we ended up being at. So there was a lot of us and it was like the, the gate, um, I don't even call it a gate, but it's the, the pathway that leads up to Universal if you're going to go to the park, which was very tempting to do. Yeah. At that yeah, juncture. Because yeah. you can also see from the street that we were on on Lankersham, you can see the new Mario world kind of peeking through. And I was like, ah, I really want to go. Yeah. But no, we have to do this. Oh, <laughs> oh God. And I, I jokingly said, let's go grab a butterbeer. But like part of me, I know the city walk is open and we actually could have just walked up there. Was could, like, have. <laughs> could have. But, and I, I do have to say, listener, Tasha really does know everybody that is maybe in the entire writing community because everyone was like, hey, Tasha. Hey, Tasha. I look, I turned around at one point. No. You're getting interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And yeah. I hate interviews. I tried to get Josh. They wanted to interview Josh and he refused. He threw someone else under the bus and now they have a random interview with Betty. <laughs> The poor guy, the poor guy, he said, he was like, I saw him interview you. I was like, hey, man. And then he was like, okay, you're up. And I was like, no, I'm good. And he was like, come on, let me just ask you a few questions. No, I'm good. And it was only because I didn't feel well equipped to have any conversation of substance. That's why I, that's like... He didn't ask me any questions about like, why are you picketing or what are you fighting for or anything like that? He really just wanted to know about what the hell Act 2 was because he had never heard of it. Oh, so I didn't know that. I thought he was asking like (laughs) questions and and he'd be like, well, what is your cause? What's your cause and what do you think AI is going to do to writers and this and that? And the last thing I wanted. I understand that. And as I said to you and as someone probably knows, I would be making just like offhanded jokes about it where it sounds like I wasn't <laughs> taking it. That would have been the worst interview. <laughs> like, like I'm not serious about it, but that's just my coping mechanism. So, <laughs> you know, that I, I, yeah, it would have been bad. So then I threw Sabetti and then Sabetti <laughs> was having that conversation. I wonder where we're going to see this interview. How do we see this? Um, hear it? it will be in a WGA email. <laughs> That's uh, called Writers on the Line. So when I get it, 
I will, unless I hate it, I will yeah. forward it along. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was great. Yeah. Because there were so many act two writers there. So yeah. I, like, I really enjoyed it because I hadn't seen a lot of them in a while. Some of them like before the pandemic. And then we just got to say like, cause the, you walk across, I guess it's like four lanes of traffic essentially is how wide this gate is. And then as you're walking, um, you have, you know, 25 seconds to walk across the street uh-huh. and you, you just like cozy up to someone. You're like, Oh, Hey, like, how have you been? What were you doing? before all of this happened, like how, how's life outside of writing, which is always a nice question to get because you're always just talking about work, it feels like. And, uh, you know, you got to like just, yeah, catch up with, you know, find out people are buying houses and they're, yeah. you know, they got kids and they're doing all this fun stuff. And it was just nice. In no way is this supposed to be like a mixer vibe, like a networking thing. Like, I understand that. I but it the- is. No, but- I mean, I think that's the great part about it. <laughs> but yes, it is. And we were we were talking about like you 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 walk across the street and then you just kind of organically talk to different people and you're just standing there. I I would be talking to you and then uh, then I'm talking to Hannah and then Sabetti is coming over and then Alex and I were talking and it was just the weirdest like I've never done speed dating but mm. I imagine how where it's like okay time's up time to go to the next person but that imagine that in like an organic setting where you're just yeah. you're just chatting with people it's really yeah. weird it's great. Yeah, and people and are to- super honky over there too. Like lots of laying on the horn and screaming out the windows and yeah, very aggressive. So this actually was my second time. Mm. My first time picketing, I was with um, my management company Bellevue, organized by Jay Z, and it was over at Paramount. And the honks were a lot, and oh, the Melrose yeah? is so close to Par. You know, like the street was so narrow that. Like you never know if someone's honking at you or for mm-hmm. you or with mm-hmm. you or what, but um, I just need to say that like the the Paramount area that I was like I was walking in like a ten foot circle just around and around, mm. and you're just bumping shoulders into everybody. Universal was a little bit cozier, you had a little more room. Yeah, what was the is the vibe different at both spots? <sighs> well, I know you have some thoughts about Paramount. But I only have what only what I've heard. There's <laughs> every every place has a personality. The the personality paramount is that everyone's super hot there. <laughs> well, I was looking around. I was like, oh, where, where is everyone? But yeah, there were there were it, the vibe was a little different. I think Universal was a little bit more laid back. Oh, interesting. Laid yeah. back how? I, maybe it was because you were walking a further distance. Mm-hmm. But the because. Like Paramount, you're where I was, and there was different areas, but it's just so cramped that your energy is just everyone's kind of like bumping shoulders, and 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 there's just like a frenetic energy. I can't. Uh, that was my experience. Like a ner uh, a nervous it wasn't energy. Nervous. You it don't was just, you don't feel chill. It was an intensity. Hmm. Is the intensity have, good or is it grating? I, I think it's a good good intensity. Oh, okay. If the right people have it, yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, but I, I I haven't been to Disney, but sounds like your place, Disney, was like the best oh, experience ever. Disney's the best. Just strolling. So then I, I was like, I told Paul this morning, we were walking our dog, and I was like, you know, if I just go picketing every day for the four hours they tell you to, I'm going to lose so much weight at the end of this WGA strike. I did. See, I saw you start your wa- your steps on your walk. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Do you know how you many it. you did yesterday? 13,600. Damn. 
So here's my the next thing. I was talking to Sabetti about this because he was pretty active in the first, or the not the first strike, but the strike in 2007, 2007. 2008. Mm-hmm. He was saying that about halfway through, which it was about a 100-day strike, halfway through, people were just hitting walls, like mm. one after another after another. And so I'm wondering if you think that's going to happen this time, because the vibe currently is that, I mean, everyone's pretty activated and pretty engaged, which is really cool to see. But I think there is that organic nature where things start to fade away a little bit and people maybe have to start getting side jobs. People have to tend to their families. People's feet just fucking hurt and they just don't come out. And they're like, I've done my job and I know my friend over there hasn't done his. So why am I coming out? Yeah. You think think that's going to happen? It's hard to say. I'm not, I was not around during that strike. I think I was working on Skid Row at the time. So I was very out of it. Wow. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I mean, also summer's coming up. A lot of kids are coming Mm. out of school. So parents are going to have a rough time making it out. I believe I heard rumblings of childcare being offered by the WJ, but I could be totally wrong if that's, I mean, they should, if they're able to offer that to uh, various people at Pickett so they can have some time there. Um, wow. It's tough to say, like you said, there everyone is very energized. And I think part of it is that the fight is so clear now. It does feel like it's just we're fighting against capitalist greed that's out of control. And less, it almost feels like it's less now about the, the minutia of what we're asking for and more like we have to make a stand for humanity. <laughs> it's kind oh, of wow. how it feels right now. And I think this is really just pumping people up. And making them realize that we have to see this through no matter what. It's it's no longer just about, you know, minor points on a, on a negotiation. It feels bigger than that. Um, and I, I think it's, it's really smart for the WGA captains to keep the energy going in terms of having themed walks. Like coming up, they're going to have, they have all kinds of things. Like they had Star Trek Day and they're going to have Star Wars Day and they had a Newsies sing-along day. And there are just all these different writer committees, you know, like the Asian Writing Committee is out there and the Middle Eastern Writer Committee is out there. They, they have all these themes going, which is partly why they interviewed me is like, what is your theme? Like, who are the act two writers and, and why did you organize this? There are people who are oh, organizing no. fun things. Oh, really? And then ways to engage writers to make it still feel fun and not like a chore that's interesting but i should say i got an email that you know writers if you're going make sure you're checking in because the writers guild is gonna start cracking down a little bit more on not cracking down that's kind of the wrong terminology but nudging people who have not been going to the picket lines be like hey we haven't seen your name on any of the check-in lists make sure you put in your time um, to to help keep the momentum going when does the alcohol start flowing at the picket lines? I mean, why not right away yeah. at any time? Yeah. Although the danger becomes, <laughs> and I've heard, <laughs> I've heard some writers who are more even temperament saying that they have had to actually, you know, stop other writers who are upset um, from being a little bit more aggressive sometimes. So, you know, that that's also why the WGA captains are there. So this is not meant to be an aggressive picket. It's meant to be an informational picket and a, you know, a picket that, that, that does like forcibly shut 
production's down, but no, no one's throwing bottles at windows and we're not, that's not the kind of picketing that writers do. And so I guess if you mix alcohol into that, <laughs> it could get a little fiery. Who knows? It's unpredictable. But what if it was the type of picketing that writers No, have? Joshua. Okay. <laughs> How about not, drinks afterwards? I'm not saying that things will be resolved faster if people get more aggressive. It'll definitely not be because then because okay. I we have we have the higher ground now, right? We everyone understands the battle between the underdog and the evil empire. But if the underdog starts misbehaving, no one really likes lawlessness. Okay, except Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I don't. Little devil horns are showing. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I just yeah, I'm just thinking about it. If you want to pick it, if you, whether you're, because also two friends of mine came out, one of whom is not a writer in any way, shape or form. And she took Josh's sign and took over relief for him. And then another pre-WGA writer showed up, who's another friend of mine, and we all just walked together. So you absolutely can. There There are also people out there who are not writers who were just supporters of what was going on and they were picketing right along with everyone else. So you're absolutely allowed to do that if you'd like to. You, you could just show up and just walk back and forth, by the way. There, there's, it's that casual. But you'll also notice when you go to these locations that there's a little table or there's like a little awning with a table underneath that's kind of the check-in booth where the WJ captains hang out. And when you get there, you can get a bottle of water, you can get a sign, and then you can sign up and just say that, you know, Josh Hallman was here and their little sign in thing. If you're a member or a non-member, um, you can just sign up and, and show your support that way and just let them know that you arrived and then they'll kind of point you in the right direction. And yeah, that's, that's the vibe. It's really, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's fun, but it is, you get to, you get to meet a lot of people. And so, yeah, that was, that was our vibe on what is, what was that week four? I think so. Of the strike? Yeah. It was a good, it was a good vibe. This is yeah, we have to do the check-in because it's 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 just everywhere. There's no way to avoid the strike as much as we are going to do our best to avoid getting caught up in strike stuff. Yep. Good times. We may do this again, by the way, do an act two thing. So if that's the case, we'll kind of let everyone know and you can come out and we can make a day of it and say hi. That'd be great. Yeah. I think so too. All right. All right. Quote of the day. Be pioneers. Find stories that are risky, but speak volumes of who you are as a writer. Steven Spielberg. I love that. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act2Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha3.0. And I'm Josh Hallman on Instagram, Joshua Hallman on Twitter. And as always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Bag, which you can find on Spotify. Mm-hmm.